Journeys of Faith. I'm Brother David Bryant from Coleman, Alabama, St. Bernard Abbey. The word vocation to me has changed over the course of my time of being in the church and as a monk, and uh, actually finding my faith, deepening my faith. Uh, I was Baptist first, and uh, music was important when I was Baptist, and music still is important for me. So that has kind of been the key in my faith, is music. Music and uh, community. We'll put those two together, because I think those are important. So I guess you kind of have to start back when I was uh, six years old, actually. At six, I had this idea. The idea was to actually go sailboating, because I loved sailboating when I was younger. and. While I was on the sailboat, I would go to different countries and places and spread the word of, of God. Now, I found that kind of odd later on in life because I was like, I really wasn't big into church. So that was kind of odd. It was one of those things that just kind of sits with you and, you're, and you let it just sit. And you forget about it after a while. And then you move on to the next level. Later on, when I become a teenager, I was in scouting and uh, made a lot of friends there. But one particular one was a um, young man named David Carter who uh, was at the same summer camp as I was. The story is kind of easy and quick and it's kind of fun, but Father David, who's now a priest, by the way, or David Carter is now a priest, he was a cook at our summer camp. And I was a, uh, a director at that same summer camp. We both lived in two opposite directions that was nearly a quarter of a mile away from each other. He lived on top of the hill, I lived at the bottom of the hill. Uh, I lived in the area where I was teaching and he lived up where the cooks were. And uh, he got into a little trouble one night. And the uh, director came down to the bottom of the hill where I was to wake me up about three in the morning. And to make the story real short, basically I said, okay, for whatever reason that they have woken me up, I don't want to have anything to do with that person or whatever. Uh, they finally tell me that this is a guy named David Carter. and He uh, had lit some fireworks inside of a cabin. I'm like, okay, I am now not talking to that person. Well, that didn't last long because Father David invited me to his church. He just felt like he should come down and talk to me and he started hanging out in my area. And obviously he said sorry for waking me up at three in the morning and bringing me up there when I had nothing to do with this. So we became best friends. And he invited me to his church, which obviously was a Catholic church and I would go there with him on Sundays. The one thing I noticed about the Catholic church is that it's a prayer from beginning to end. Obviously, I didn't put the connections together, but it starts off in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it sends you somewhere at the end. I didn't put that together until more recently in life. But that was my first impression, and I think that's the most important part right there. That's what started it all. Things started to fall together. Well, I didn't quite listen to myself, and I didn't join the Catholic Church at that point. I uh, decided that I still wanted to advance my music knowledge and I moved to the Methodist Church because they had a great choir at this one Methodist Church that was above our house. Still friends with David. I would still go visit his church. He would still invite me, never pushed me. Um, and then another calling came again, which now I can say it was a calling. And it came through music. How could I spread God's love through music? Well, by me sharing my voice to the world. And as it is with a calling, you don't know it's a calling until much later on in life. So again, there's another one of these things, I sit over to the side and I didn't worry about it. So my faith kept growing. I started getting um, 
more knowledgeable in the faith. That is, who God was, who the Holy Spirit was, how he worked in our lives, who Jesus Christ really was, how music can come together to make things holier, better. As St. Augustine says, when you sing, you pray twice. And that was very true, and it still is very true in my own life. No matter how bad or good the music really is when we're singing it, so later on, I, I did become, or did enter into a, uh, a Methodist seminary to uh, become a uh, Methodist pastor. That was my idea. Still going to the Catholic Church, by the way. I uh, started developing this type of prayer where I would get up in the morning before school. I would go to a chapel somewhere. I would pray. I would then go to school. Then I would sometimes skip lunch and go to the chapel to pray. And then I would go to school and then at dinner, I would go to this chapel or somewhere and pray. I didn't have the breviary or anything like that. I just prayed the Psalms. I didn't know about monastic life, by the way, at that time. I just felt like the Psalms were important. Don't know where that connection came from, but the Psalms and the Proverbs have always been a big thing. I was like, wow, this is great. This is something that needs to be kept in your, your mind and your heart for years. Uh, it will help you somehow. No formal knowledge on any of this stuff still. So, obviously, this was a grace from God telling you something is going to happen later on. Didn't pay any attention to it, though. So, what, what happened? How did I become Catholic then, if I was in the Methodist church? Well, it was real simple. While I was at seminary with the Methodists, I found the Catholic church nearby. And um, I started visiting that church. And uh, obviously, those same fillings of the church being a prayer from the beginning to the end kept coming up. And the funniest thing, though, when I first showed up, I was dressed normally, wasn't dressed in all black, just a normal kid going into a Catholic church. And this priest came up. He was Polish. I don't know where he's at now. But he sums up and he comes up and he says, oh, a seminarian. And he actually pulls me into the rectory and he starts talking to me. And I finally said, I am not Catholic. I am a uh, Methodist person coming to your church. And I've been sitting in the back like a good Baptist and uh, just decided to... Uh, sit up front for once and um, he didn't care he kept going he just kept going and talking to me and and he said well we need to get you in touch with the vocation director so I'm not Catholic I said well we'll just put you into RCA class so I started RCA class the next week and obviously I had made up my mind to become Catholic but I stayed in the seminary to just get done with the semester well that didn't last actually another weird thing happened a young man showed up to that Catholic church and he was joining a religious life somewhere and he just started talking to me about it and I was like wow religious life wow that kind of sounds neat that's kind of like what I want to do and he invited me to go well I went with him just for a weekend it was what it was supposed to be but it ended up being a weekend it ended up being nearly uh, three weeks because his car broke down at the monastery he was staying so naturally everyone was quite upset and they couldn't find me so mom sent out all kinds of I don't know, got a hold of police to find me because I didn't have a way of calling them. And One thing led to another. We finally came back home, and I tried to finish off the semester, but there was just way too much work, so I decided to just go ahead and drop out of that. But at the same time, I continued RCA class. So I went to the church in Knoxville, and what year was this? 2000. It was 99 when I was in the Methodist seminary. It was the year 2000 when I joined the Catholic Church. Naturally, the church was having a holy year, Special doors were open and all these things. And I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. So it was really a festive, wonderful time to be in the church at that time. 
And it just reinforced how much I really wanted to be in the Catholic Church. So I just kept going through RCA, finally joined the church, while at the same time, with the religious life part, I decided that I needed to really consider religious life. I kept moving on after joining the church. I um, was going to the Catholic Church. I uh, became part of Knights of Columbus, who has been a great supporter to my religious vocation. Throughout that whole summer, I stayed with them, and they pretty much were just great support. Sometime that fall, I've got the okay to become a, uh, not a novice, but to just live with the Franciscans. And so I was with them for a while and moved on up to New York, stayed with the Capuchin Franciscans, is who I was with. It didn't quite work out so well, but while I was there, I was introduced to the Benedictines. I started going to St. Mary's because the Franciscans wanted me to have a small job just to help pay for my time while I was with them. Canonically, you can't join anything until after three years. And they said, that was fun, just come live with us, and I did. But I ended up finding my way to a Benedictine monastery in Morristown. And they realized that you're supposed to be Benedictine, not Franciscan. And I said, well, yeah, I kind of felt that. And I was like, you know the rule? And he was like, yes, yes, I do. I know it very well. And they said, you sing well. And I was like, well, yeah, I do. But, you know, he said, do the Franciscans sing? And I was like, well, no, I mean, we don't, they don't sing. But, I mean, that's not part of their, it's not part of their life. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're, they're very, quite active. But uh, they just kept asking all these things. Yes, okay, look. Yes, I love to sing. I love to chant with you all. I do like the life of the Benedictines. And the most important, stability. That's one of the vowels the Franciscans don't take. Very important to me. I didn't like having to be moved every couple of years or couple of months. So that was kind of the changing part right there was uh, the stability. So after touring with the Franciscans for about a year and a half, I moved to Knoxville, back to Knoxville. Stayed with my parents for just a couple of couple of weeks. Moved in with a parishioner at my old church. I actually started my own small water garden business. I was obviously quite involved with the church and the school, with the Knights of Columbus. So it was a great year, wonderful year. Got to know more about the Catholic Church, which I knew quite a bit because I had done tons of studying before even joining. But that was just a good practical year, I guess you could call it. And I was able to do quite a bit of work for people in their yards, too. So I got a hold of a Benedictine order, St. Bernard Abbey, actually, and went through the whole process, discernment and everything, submitted my letter, and they accepted me. I went for several visits and everything and enjoyed the place. However, that was only half the story, as I've come to find out. I had known about other types of lives, like Cistercians and Trappists, and I actually did like them, but I considered myself not Cistercian or Trappist material and decided to, uh, to stay away from that. But the discernment has really started now for me. I am now looking at transferring to a Cistercian way of life. Uh, I do things with my hands quite a bit. I have been happily living at the Benedictine Monastery for 11 years now and wouldn't trade it in for anything. But when God brings you into different things, he, he, he moves me in small steps as opposed to large steps, and that's very important. And that's what he has done. We can even go back with the Scouts, to the Catholic Church, to the Franciscans, to the Benedictine life. Keeping me there in a Benedictine life for quite a long time so I can learn what it's really like to be a monastic. And then saying to you, David, maybe it's 
time to consider something a little bit more cloistered because one of the reasons you joined the Benedictines was to live a life that is with stability, conversion, poverty, chastity, and obedience, but also in a more cloistered life. I've always wanted that. Where I'm at is doing great. I think they're doing wonderful things for many people, but for me, I need something a little bit more cloistered. And that's where the Trappists have then been reintroduced to me in a different light. I see it in a totally different light now. But the discernment is going to be a long thing, and you have to do that in anything you do. So vocation for me has changed over many, many years, over these 15, really, if you want to look at it. You had the first vocation was basically giving to the world through my voice, through, through my experiences and the things that I knew how to do and my talents in scouting. My vocation at the time was to give that to them, show them who God was through that, and I did, through my voice, through singing the praises of God. Vocation switched just slightly more to a more religious, active life through the Franciscans. And then once again, God showed me another part of life and says, okay, you've made it this far, you see what the difference is between active and contemplative. So let's move you to the next level, that's the Benedictines. Very contemplative, but quite active at this particular house I was at. Now we're sitting here at Conyers, about ready to have another shift in life and vocation. Again, it's not a bad thing. This is how God works with me. Not everyone has that type of life. Some people can enter something and say, this is it. For me, I have to do it in stages. As I always say, my brain works in connections. You have to connect things together, look at it, stand back, analyze it, say, what is God calling me to now? What does he want me to do? And I feel like this is it. Where he leads me from here, I don't know. I think the greatest joy is community because we're all in it together. Community is the most important and most joyful thing in a monastic life. You don't always have to speak to a person to enjoy their company. Community is the church, being in the church, working together is community, eating together is community, or et labor, prayer and work. So yes, I think that's the most enjoyable part of the monastic life. The next part is obviously the prayer life, but it still goes back to community because you can't pray by yourself in the monastery. You can, but in the monastery it's community prayer. And then you have your private prayer. So, yes. So we, we've lost the value of silence in modern life, don't you think? To a point I think we have. I can't speak for everybody. But it seems like everywhere you go, especially with technology, as much as I am as more technically advanced than most people, knowing how to program and work with computers and networking, there's still that point when you look at your computer and say, hmm, where's my uh, scissor? I'm cutting the cord so it can't come back on. Because you just don't want to deal with it. You, you want to step, step away from it, especially with the way the media gets onto you. It, it works on you. And you can stop that by just not watching it. So how does the silence help you in your spiritual life? How does it help you to grow closer to God? You have more time to pay attention to the voice within. I know that's been used so many times, but it's true. If you're in a community where you're praying, as much as we do as monks, no matter if you're Cistercian or Benedictine, 
I guess an example would be better. I woke up one morning and I found myself singing one of the psalms. I can't exactly remember which one it was, but I do know one of them once was, My prayers rise to you like incense. That was one of them. And there's, there's several occasions like that because it's kind of hard to uh, be in an environment and not let that environment take over. So that's what I think it is.